Bible, James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, our text today continues uh, the study of the book of James, which we started a few weeks back. Um, Last week, I was supposed to be up here preaching, and I got sick, as Brandon might have mentioned to you, so he filled in last minute. Now Katie had Malachi, and I'm filling in last minute. So I appreciate your prayers as um, we go through this text this morning. So if I ask the question, uh, many of you will recognize this, and you'll know the answer. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Many of us are familiar with that. It's a succinct and amazing catechism that communicates the striving of the Christian life from the moment of conversion until we meet our maker face to face. A theologian long ago said, the older I grow and now stand upon the brink of eternity, the more comes back to me the first sentence in that catechism which I learned as a child, and the fuller and deeper its meaning becomes. Whenever we go through trials, each one of us is forced to reconcile certain aspects of our life with the reality that we will die. Death is coming. That is true for each and every one of us. We are reminded of this most particularly when we go to a funeral. I've gone to two funerals in the past couple months, and one was for a former co-worker of mine. She was in her mid-40s, and she got cancer for a second time and left behind her husband and four sons. She was a believer, which, praise be to God, she is with him now. The other was for a friend of mine whose son died five days after being born. And these are moments when you start to look to God and ask questions. You are seeking answers and you are not always given them. Trials are inevitable. Each one of us who's a believer knows this to be the case. And so as we go through the book of James here, we find ourselves with the language of perseverance under trial. And that is our focus today, perseverance under trial. Now we could pose this as a question even, just so we frame it in our minds a little bit easier. How do we remain faithful amidst trials? How are we to do that? Well, there are two answers from today's text that I want us to focus on. The first is found in verse 12. And it is James calling us to remember the eternal promises of God. 
remembered the eternal promises of God. Now, earlier in our text, James set the stage by talking about trials right away, and he goes into this hypothetical of a man who lacks wisdom. So you have a man who lacks wisdom, and then today we have the language of blessed be the man who perseveres. You have one who's lacking wisdom, doubting the Lord, and then now we come to the pinnacle of what each of us is to strive for as a Christian, to persevere. The language that James uses, the first thing he says is he will receive the crown of life that is promised to him by the Lord. So he's drawing our attention away from the momentary trial that we are in and telling us to look up, look to the promises that God has said in his word. In this particular case, he uses language crown of life. Now, there are a few different places we could go to in scripture. Maybe you've already thought of them. I immediately thought of Revelation 4. The Apostle John is given a vision of worshiping God in the throne room of heaven. And in Revelation 4, John records that the living creatures are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And immediately following that, the 24 elders surrounding the throne say, Worthy are you, our God and our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And they fall down on their faces casting their crowns before the Lord. The crown of life is something that we are given at the end of our lives. It is given to the faithful, to those that persevere to the end. And this word persevere or endurance is also used by the Apostle Peter. And I think this is a helpful moment to include this text because we are sinners And we could sometimes think that we are enduring faithfully, but the reality is we are enduring through our own consequences of sin. We have caused sin, we have produced sin in our life, and then we're enduring through a hardship. That is not the faithful perseverance James is speaking of. And Peter clarifies that here. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, What credit is there? If when you sin and are treated harshly, you endure it with patience. In other words, don't think that when you sin, and therefore there are consequences to that sin, you're doing such a good job striving through that consequence. That is not faithful perseverance. That is you getting what you deserve in this life, consequences for sin. So if you break the law and you are put in prison... You cannot be sitting in prison and the first thing come to your mind, I am just faithfully enduring this prison sentence. That is not what is supposed to come to our minds. Peter goes on and says, But if you do what is right and suffer for it, and you patiently endure, that finds favor with God. For you have been called for his purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps. So we are to persevere, 
by remembering the promises of God. And when we do that, we need to look to Jesus as our example. Jesus never did anything wrong, and he suffered greatly for it. His eyes were permanently fixed upon the promises of God, and ours must be as well. And during the hardship of our sin's consequence is not faithful perseverance. The first thing we must do in that moment is repent and trust the Lord to bring us through those consequences while being faithful unto him, of course. But don't think that the suffering for your own sin is faithful perseverance. You are called to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your own sin's consequence is something that you must suffer in this life should you succumb to that sin. So Christian, we are called to remember God's promises. Some practical ways of doing this, I was just thinking through of what would I say to myself in the moment of persevering through trials. Well, here here are three things that I think you can say. And just you can fill in your own name here and when you're going through a, a hardship. Trevor, look to the cross. Look to the cross where your sin has been paid for. Look to the resurrection where death was defeated. And look to Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, knowing his victory is certain. Three things that you can say to yourself remind yourself of that help you provoke in your mind those promises of the Lord. Now, that is the first part of our text today in verse 12, to persevere through trials. The bulk of our time today is actually going to be 13 through 15, and this, this is the second way that we persevere. Studying temptation. Studying temptation. This is a vital discipline that Christians must endeavor upon. Now, if you've been to the discipleship hour uh, previous to this week, we went through a book talking about sin, studying sin. That is exactly what James is going to be talking about here in this text. Learn about sin because it's not going away in this life. Study how it works, where it begins the consequences of it, how to avoid it, how to defeat it. That's what we're going to do the remainder of this morning. Now, I want you to notice here a transition that takes place in our text. If you look at verse 13, James begins by saying, Let no one say when he is tempted. Let no one say. So he is moving from the outward trials that we've been discussing, that he's been you know, talking about the rich losing their wealth. He's given a few examples. And now he's telling us, look inward. There's a lot out there. We all can deal with that and look at those things, point the finger at the trials that we've endured. Now it's kind of the hard work. Look inward. And you will find that there are countless, countless evils in your own heart. So James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Now let no one say is emphatic. It is a command. James is saying, never let this be spoken amongst yourselves. So if we are thinking practically of this church, 
We ought not let it to slide by someone saying, this temptation is from the Lord. God himself is guilty for my temptation. That is never something that we should let slide because this is blaspheming our Lord. Now, most of what we say in our day, if you just think about the amount of words that are spoken or sent out via social media and a 24-hour news cycle, almost all of it is fleeting. It is empty, and it has no eternal value. Our hope, our hope is to speak in such a way that would be honoring to the Lord. So James is saying, let no one say, we need to pay attention to this. We need to understand. Let no one say, God is guilty for our sin. We need to remember that at all times. All of us want someone to blame, and often we would love to be able to blame the Lord because he just put us in the circumstance, right? The reality is, he does not let us be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. So the temptations, the study of temptation, is what helps us persevere because we understand the Lord is never at fault. So this text begins by telling us about God. I am, am I being tempted by God? That's, that's kind of a question being posed. Think about this for just a minute. To say the words, I am being tempted by God, implies that we ourselves understand the motives and intentions of God. This is what James is trying to communicate. He's trying to have us see that we are here, God is here. If we begin to say that God has tempted us, that means we're up here or maybe even above him saying we know what God is doing to us. It's impossible. It cannot be the case. So if we think about this text, we understand a difference. A chasm is being formed. James is trying to push into our minds that there is a gap between us and God. And that gap should be growing wider and wider and wider as we study temptation, as we study ourselves and as we study God. Verse 13 continues, and James says, He cannot be tempted by evil. This is referring to God. Now, maybe your mind goes here right away. Mine did with, how does this accord with Jesus being tempted? Right here he's saying, God cannot be tempted by evil, but wasn't Jesus led into the wilderness and tempted by the devil? Well, James here is not speaking about the act of someone tempting another, he's speaking of the actual desire of temptation, to want sin. We know Jesus never wanted to sin against his heavenly Father. He never disobeyed his heavenly Father. He could not, for he was always walking according to his will. So again, think about the chasm between us and God when we try to compare ourselves to God have we ever fully obeyed the will of God? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of books just trying to talk about what is the will of God, let alone actually doing the will of God. That's what we spend a lot of time doing, 
and we start to see, okay, we're over here trying to figure out what is the will of the Lord. And we debate, we spend lots of time on this, and then over here we see there is a God. We have Jesus as our example, and he never failed to do the will of God. Hebrews 4.15 helps us understand this relationship that we have between us and the Lord and how Jesus fills that gap, that chasm, that infinite chasm between us and God can only be filled with the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. That final phrase is what separates us from Jesus. It proves his divinity. And it also shows his manhood. It shows that he was in this world. That he faced everything that we face, but he was without sin. That is the only way we could possibly be reconciled to a holy God is if we have a representative, if we have someone who, like us, knows the struggles of this life, knows the trials of this world, and yet never once wavered, never once thought to himself, is God really with me? Why, O oh God, did this five-day-old child die? Are you really a loving God? These are questions Jesus never asked himself in a doubtful manner, and yet we find ourselves doing this constantly. This is proof of our own sin, of our own depravity. So this, I hope this chasm is becoming more clear. When we're in trials, it's hard to actually sometimes realize that God is with us, that we can dwell on his promises and remember them and take them to heart. That's where the lies of the evil ones start to creep into our minds, tempting us to doubt our loving Father. So James continues here and says, God himself does not tempt anyone. Now, when I was thinking about this, I just kind of separated out these sections of the text and just spent some time thinking about each of them individually. What is James trying to communicate here? Why would he use this language? And then it came to me that what need would God have to tempt us? I think this is what James is getting at here. When he says, God himself does not tempt anyone, it should become very increasingly clear throughout our lives, yeah, why would he? What would that possibly accomplish? God sitting up on high, watching us, waiting, waiting, waiting. Ah, you stumbled. I knew it. You petty little people. You keep stumbling, stumbling, stumbling. It wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't accomplish anything for the Lord himself. God has no need to look down upon us and tempt us. There's nothing that would come of it that would actually glorify himself. That's us viewing ourselves again as on par with God or greater than him. That's what James is trying to defeat here, is this mentality that God is exactly like us. 
that we can know everything about him. God himself does not tempt anyone. And if we are to think that the creator of the universe would need to tempt us, we have too low a view of God and too high a view of man. That is very, very clear. Now we move into kind of the hard part of this text, at least it was for me as I was studying it this week. It basically is the epitome of you are the problem. Look in the mirror when you get home. You're the problem. I don't care what you're thinking about. You're the problem. It's you. It came from within you. You can point the finger as much as you want, but the reality is you have a problem. In the book of Ephesians, we read that we, apart from Christ, are darkness. Not that it's dwelling in there, that there's some darkness hidden in there, and most of us is really light and we're really nice people. We are darkness. We are lost. We are enslaved to sin. James hits this home whenever he uses the language, we are carried away and enticed. This is language used uh, in the Greek language about bait and traps. So think about hunting and fishing or a lure. You are trying to catch a fish, so you put the bait on the hook to lure that fish in. None of us really wants to look in the mirror and go that compare ourselves to a fish. Like we like to think we're pretty intelligent, we're obviously way smarter. The reality is, just like the fish, we see sin, we see the things that we want, and we go right at it. Now, there's two sets of people in the world. There are the Christians and the non-Christians. Non-Christians have no ability to not go to the bait. They want the bait and they don't fight against it. Christian, I encourage you to remember that and dwell on that fact. That was you at one point before the Lord graciously saved you. You had no ability to fight against the lust in your heart. But as Christians, we do know that we are now in a war. Peter, again, he mentions in 1 Peter chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly, fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. We can also directly relate to what the Apostle Paul says about this war within, waging war against the lusts of the flesh. Paul says, For the good that I want, I don't do it. I practice the very evil that I do not want. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God, Jesus Christ the Lord. It is only by the salvation in Christ that we are able to actually wage war at all. James is telling us here that if we are to persevere through trials, we must have a mindset that is fixed upon God and not ourselves. And not an elementary understanding. If you want to persevere, that means you have to understand. You have to have a game plan. You have to have the discipline 
to stay faithful. It's not a one-time thing. You don't, at the beginning, decide, I'm going to be faithful through this hardship. And then it just, you know, coast in from there. Push that cruise control and go. Often that's when the enemy is pouncing. The enemy is tempting. Our own hearts can be led astray to countless satisfactions that are really fleeting and leave us worse off than before. So the final verse of our text today says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now this imagery here of conception is actually very helpful for us. If we're thinking about how would I persevere through trials, when we study temptation, James deliberately uses the word conceived. Think about when a new life is formed in a mother's womb. You have a sperm and an egg that are inextricably bound together. They are united. That life is what he is referring to. You have the image of being bound together and you are not able to be separated. This language, conceived, is actually the same word used to describe the arrest of Jesus and also Paul being seized by his opponents before being thrown in prison. So this being bound together or if you imagine being chained, you are linked and you are, cannot escape. I think actually the word seized, Paul being seized by his opponents, is actually the most striking. Imagine someone or a group of someones who have no love for you whatsoever. Imagine Paul preaching the gospel, being seized, meaning hands running up to grab him, to hold him down, to pin him and cling to him, no matter how much he might have thrashed around and tried to struggle to breathe. That's how we're supposed to be viewing sin on the human. That sin is so instricably bound to the human being that it is impossible to look at someone and just go, that is a good person with now with no sin whatsoever you instead should view the non-christian the friends the family members that do not believe in the lord imagine looking at them and seeing this dead corpse clinging to them and they're just walking around life unaware that it is clinging to them that's the imagery that we are to have The perseverance, the good news, is that for the Christian, when we came to the foot of the cross, when we repented of our sins, that sin was released. We were given a new heart. Our minds are being renewed day by day, and we wage this battle fervently, seeking the Lord's help through it all. If we think about our own sin and the temptations that we so easily succumb to, we'll find ourselves left with no ability to come to the Lord Jesus on our, on our own strength. That's why I love the text that we love him because he first loved us. 
It is Jesus' act of coming into this world, his death on the cross, his resurrection, that allows us to even begin to have a chance of escaping the snares of the devil, of escaping death. Now, if we think about the consequences of sin, we can hear what Jesus says in Revelation. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Christian, that's what you've been delivered from. You are able to persevere through trials by remembering the promises of God, that crown of life that is guaranteed to those who love him, and also by studying temptation, by understanding that you yourself have no ability to live a holy life. It is only through the Lord's strength and by his spirit that we can persevere no matter what comes to us. Let's pray. God, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. May we consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. God, give us courage to stand for the truth when all around us seem to compromise left and right. We know it is only by your power that we can endure. Amen.